monsters. <laughs> All right, we'll sprinkle in a few national championships, a little director of NASA, and <laughs> the foundation of Hyperfest, and you get a man that sets your race car deadlines. Chris Cabello, welcome to 91 Octane. Uh, glad to be here, John. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, no, thanks for joining us today. Uh, yeah, we were, we've we've met through the internet, and then we're finally meeting again through the internet through the internet. Uh, through this technology, we're uh, actually able to have this podcast remote, and this is actually the first 91 Octane uh, a remote podcast. Usually we do them live in studio, so thank you for joining me. Um, it's a great pleasure to have you. Uh, all my experience is on the West Coast, so I'm very curious about what goes on in the on the East Coast, uh, but for our listeners and what you can expect for today, you know, we're going to go through some of your driving history. We're going to touch on NASA a little bit, which is sort of what started our conversations. And then finally, we will wrap up with Hyperfest. Uh, but first, let's just take it back to the basics, the, the, the start of it all. What inspired your driving pursuits? You've now made your entire life about the automobile, right? You're, you're working in all these businesses, uh, but what started it all? What, what was sort of the catalyst for you to go into that world? Well, you know, I really think that, uh, I mean, I like a lot of people, you know, it goes back to just playing with, you know, matchbox cars and Hot Wheels. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I can't remember a time when I wasn't wishing that I was driving. And, uh, and so that, that's passion. My dad liked cars, wasn't really into racing much, but, um, it really sort of started there. And, and I always felt that I watching IMSA, you know, the, the, the real classic stuff in the seventies and eighties, you know, growing up that, uh, man, I was just wanted to be a race car driver, but I always had the idea that it was going to be so expensive to do that, uh, that I just never be able to get there. And it turns out that a buddy of mine's dad raced and, uh, and this is really pre NASA. This was, he was racing SCCA and he invited me to go to, uh, uh, one of his races over Labor Day at Summit Point Raceway. And when I got up there and I saw that, you know, the cars that were out there, I realized that, hey, it's not just about, you know, the pro IMSA stuff with Coca-Cola and Lowenbrow as sponsors, which they were back then, and Camel GT. Uh, wow, a regular guy could get out and do this. And so I started having conversations with this. And I felt embarrassed, honestly, because, man, I read every car magazine. I knew every zero to 60 time of everything, you know, and, uh, and the fact that I had somehow missed this, uh, was almost embarrassing, but that was probably when I was, I don't know, 25 or 26 years old. And, uh, and that really sort of started it, you know, that there was, that it just existed, you know, that you could do HPDE types of events. And, uh, and, and so in 1990, that was about 1996 or so. Um, and, uh, got married in 96 and about four months later bought a, a race car um, that was already built. It was a first generation RX-7. And I uh, started doing my schools in that and did my SCCA, did my SCCA school because that was the only thing that was here. And at the time I was working as a uh, health information management systems, basically, you know, selling electronic medical records and things like that. And uh, I hated that job. You know, I mean, it was, it was great. It got me to be able to buy a car and get to the track and provided those kinds of funds. But I was complaining one day while I was, as we're as we're building the car between the '98 and the '99 season, blown fender, first generation RX-7, you know, heavy street port 12A, 48 IDA downdraft Weber's, 
you know, with a, uh, a Kayu Kudu intake, which, by the way, was worth an extra five horsepower over, like, <laughs> Racing Beat and some of these other. I'm telling you, man. But it was, it was, it was sold by HKS way in the early days. Uh, and uh, you just couldn't find them anymore. I just happened to luck into one. The thing was awesome. Anyway, um, that was the first race car. Um, you know, I won a regional championship in 99 with e-production. I was running this RX-7. Um, but while we were building the car, I was complaining about my regular job, and uh, one of my crew members said, well, geez, you know, you ought to be, what about running NASA Virginia director? I'm like, what the hell is NASA? And, um, and I started, because it was only on the West Coast at that time, so I had no idea what it was. But I thought it was cool that they had, they had come up with classes that were, that were regular guy classes, but at the time there, they had contingency money and, uh, and, and it was a quote unquote pro series. So it was really pro stuff, but for guys like maybe you and me, you know, with our budgets that, that could actually win something. Right. And after having won the championship, um, you know, in a, in a, in several races with SCCA and really got nothing out of it, I was like, man, that's a lot of work. It's still fun. You know, you're still doing it for fun, but man, it's a lot of work to get absolutely zero. And, um, and so I'll tell you a quick story and I'll, it's another sanctioning body that I happened to be racing with at the time. It was the first race I ever won. And I remember I was standing in tech and they, it was a 30 minute impound and, and I'd just forgotten completely that, Hey, you're supposed to get a trophy when you win. Right. And, and I asked the tech guy, so where, you know, where's the trophy? And he, and he pointed me over to this, this uh, woman and she was an elderly woman sitting on a, like an old school 1960s uh, fold out chair with an old school 1960s uh, like TV tray table beside her. And he pointed to her and said, that's where you get over. That's where you get your trophy. So I kind of like floated. Grabbed my first win ever, man. You know, so I like levitated the whole way, you know, for 55 yards or so. And, uh, and I go up there and I'm just like, I, I, I want my first race. I want my first race, you know? And, and I'm like, I'm supposed to get a trophy. And they said to come over here and talk to you. And, uh, honest to God, man, she went, she grunted like that. <laughs> I'm I, as God is my witness, man. When I go up to, when I, when I'm at the pearly gates, they'll be like, yeah, you've telling the truth. And there was a, uh, on the, on the 1960s TV trade table was a, was a book and you signed that. And then, there was a box of trophies that was on the ground beside that thing. And you signed it to say you got your trophy. You picked up the trophy and you walked away. And so. Whenever, what a ceremony. You, right. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like <laughs> yeah. in, in your head, you're thinking like, you know, the Bud Light girls and you know, trophies and <laughs> champagne and everything else. And, uh, and it was just so anticlimactic that, that whenever, um, that whenever I started running NASA in Atlantic region, it was actually NASA Virginia at the time. And 2000 was our very first season. I'm like, that's never going to happen because it was my brothers in speed, you know, and I know that they had the same kind of ideas. And so, so we, we started the, the thing with like the trophy, uh, trophy presenters, you know, typically, you know, uh, pretty young women and, uh, and then the <laughs> trophies and champagne and, you know, and I, and still to this day, man, I get up on the, it was a bullhorn at the time. Now we've graduated to an actual PA system and I get on there, you know, and I say in first place in Specky 30, Robert Grace and, you know, go through the whole, the whole crew like that. And we do a, we do a party and I try to make people, you know, feel the way that I would have wanted to feel that first time that I got a trophy. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, no, uh, I, I get that. No, I, I does. Let me ask you this: Does time trials get the same love? They do. They, they do. do. 
Oh yeah. Okay, man, I, cool. I, I, all, all my kids, I love all my kids equally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I, I have a very similar story about the first time I got, I won. It was a time trials uh, event. It wasn't a race. Um, I was like, you know, where, what happens to, to my trophy? At, and this year they had changed from actual trophies to just medals. Um, I'm trying to hunt this down. I make it to the restaurant. And there is a 16-year-old girl there, and, and we're like, oh, you know, where, where do we get our trophies? And she's like, did, did you, uh, what place did you get? I'm like, oh, I got first place. She digs in a cardboard box, grabs a medal and a sticker that says NASA winner, and hands it to me and says, here you go. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, that really took the air out of those sails. Like, uh, it's not, uh, not what I was expecting in terms of a victory. Well, now, were you, was that so- SoCal or NorCal? SoCal. That was SoCal. SoCal. Got yeah. You. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think I think um, I and I don't I don't know. It's a SoCal is owned by somebody else. Uh, different now, um, you know, Northern California. Uh, and I, I every every region has a little different culture, right? And yep. uh, um, when I first came on, um, I spent hours and hours talking to Jerry Kunzman, okay, who is the executive director of NASA. He's the guy. He and Ali Arsham sort of started NASA, and. Uh, and he's just a, you know, he's the mad professor. You know, I mean, Jerry is just the nicest guy. And he, if they're the weirder the idea, the, the, the better it is. You know, I mean, there is no saying no as long as lawyers or the logistics don't say no. Right. I'm going to say yes. <laughs> and that's his yeah. attitude. And that's my attitude, too, you know. Um, but uh, but I mean, I, that's where I started driving. I picked up I, I raced several things, you know, until until then, uh, until the Specky 30. Got into Specky 30. Carter Hunt um, had created this series. And uh, I went back and forth between Spec Me Out and Specky 30. But I'm 6'1", you know, 200 pounds. And I just fit into Specky 30, an E30 better. And I liked ABS. But, uh, but anyway, I started racing that. And I won, a, won the national championship in, uh, let's see, 06, 07, and 09, I think. And, um, and in 2011, 2010, basically, I'd sort of gotten, Specky 30 is a wonderful class, but I'd gotten a little bit bored. I wanted to learn a little bit more. I wanted to have some adjustable suspension type stuff so I could really understand about, you know, uh, three-way shocks and all that stuff, right? So, um, at the time in 2011, uh, that's when the Coyote motor came out and I watched a, uh, and the Mustang and I watched a comparison between the, the, uh, the, the E92 M3 and that car that Randy Popes had done out in California. Actually, I think it was at, I think it was at Willow, but, um, but, uh, but anyway, he's like, yeah, these, 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 this new motor is great. So called a shop that was a local shop, uh, and, uh, sort of threw the idea by them. And they had a really close relationship with Saline. Um, I had a real close relationship with a company called bully dog at the time was doing like diesel performance stuff that wanted to start getting into cars. And, uh, and that's what their plan was. And so we just put together a package and went out to SEMA and to PRI. And next thing you know, um, I had purchased the first brand new car I ever, ever bought. Uh, still, the first brand new car I ever purchased was a Mustang. And 800 miles later, after driving it, we ripped it apart and turned it into an American iron car. Oh. Got to hit pause. Yeah. Red time. No, go for it. Time. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, here. I'll, uh, you, can, you can watch me while I, uh, while I pull it. I, I got to pull these out. <laughs> got to work on some bread. <laughs> ah. 
Okay, sorry about that. I'm back. No, no worries. Race car driver, chef, you do it all. <laughs> I love that. Uh, all right, love, but like, uh, you. you know, we. I think the world knows you're decorated. Why? Right? It was very easy to search up your name and see victory, 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 director, this position. But I want to know how long did it take you from deciding to start racing to not winning your first national championship, but you in your head believing I can win a national championship? Oh, dude, I, this is the most embarrassing thing. I believed that from before I even got on the track. I mean, I, uh, I walked, one of the things I tell a lot of drivers, uh, you know, students and stuff that's coming out, it's, it's embarrassing, but I think it's good to be humble. Um, I remember, you know, Summit Point Raceway is the first time, first place I ever put a car on a track, right? And Summit Point's not that far from Nazareth. Well, if Mario Andretti and the Andretti, that whole dynasty is from Nazareth, Pennsylvania. And, uh, and Mario is my, my hero, you know? And so I went to my first one, you know, with all these crazy notions of like, man, where they, where do they see this kid? Cause it's all I'd ever wanted to do, you know, a super yeah. thing like, you know, like the movies, like, oh, we got to call, get on the phone to Mario. We got a, you know, we got a, a phenom here. Right. And <laughs> yeah. I got up there. It's like, it's like I had never driven a car before, you know? I mean, I, it's just, you know, I mean, you know, when you're, when you're trying to drive something, when you go spiritedly out on the back roads, that is so completely different from hitting your mark every time, right at the very edge of adhesion at the, you know, a threshold breaking, and then being able to get on that throttle as early as you can and just do it lap after lap after lap. And then once you figure that out, be able to do that with, you know, 15 cars around you and not hit anybody, you know, and think about the game of racing, you know, it's, uh, so anyway, did I, yeah, I mean, I, I will say that I believed I could win right from the very beginning. You know? Okay, and that's sort of an attitude that you need to have, right? That's that you need to have that confidence on the track. The skill comes after, comes from repetition, comes from seat time. But then, from when you started, which I, I think you mentioned '96 or so, it, you won in '99. Was it three years? Were there some victories in there? You know, small victories. And and how did you progress? Was it really going through the program and then immediately jumping into racing, or did you pause and do like some autocross, some time trial, kind of try some different disciplines before you made the jump to racing? So there really wasn't time trial back then. I had done a couple of autocrosses, and and while I certainly don't you know take anything away from those that that autocross, my I really wanted to get on a big track, you know. And so when I um, when I I really did, I did my first school ever in the spring of '97. Uh, I did my first SCCA school in the fall of 97. So I'd done about five HPD kind of a, events and before I got in and started doing my school. Um, I, uh, uh, I had, it, had to take two schools at that time. So I waited until March of 98. That's when I actually got my SCCA license. And then um, and I, the car wasn't really prepared for the class uh, as much as it, it could be. You know, it was, it was to the point where I could finish maybe like fifth you know, in an e-production out of 10 with, with, with honestly, basically it was, a, it was a stock car really, you know, with, uh, with, with not great suspension on it. It was just how I had bought it as a, as a HPD car. And then, um, and then I, uh, and then we over from 98 to 99, we built the car to be com truly competitive based upon the rules. Um, and I came out and I just crushed everybody, you know, um, it was great. 
you know, it was, it was, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Um, finished I, that year. I ran a national champion or not a national championship, but a, a nationals race at Summit point with a lot of the guys in around me, I think were four or five national champions. And, uh, uh, and I came in second in that race, uh, to the guy who had actually won in a caterham the year before he was the national champion. Um, and so I felt pretty good about it. And, but I was, I was just throwing the car around. I mean, honestly, you know, in terms of driver development, you ask about that. I was just, you know, those, those cars were tail happy. It was angry, sounded angry. It was great, but I just, I just threw it around and, and held on. And, uh, uh, I didn't, I didn't know as much, you know, it, it about just the engineering side of it, the driving. I literally was just like, Woo! I'm in a race car, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and like, uh, I guess uh, in that vein, what are some of the differences between your driving style then and your driving style now? Um, patience. You know, I mean, patience is really the biggest thing. Um, don't overwork the tires. Uh, don't feel like you have to be out front right this very minute and for the entire race, all the time, all season. Um, you know, it's a, it's a thinking person's game. And, uh, you know, the, the more, the more that you can really think about all of the aspects of what might happen in a race, um, being prepared, you know, using, using practice as a way to get yourself confident so that when you find yourself in a particular racing situation that you are develop a confidence over somebody else. Um, it's being, it's really being cerebral, you know, about it. The driving skill itself hasn't really changed that much. Um, but the, uh, the thinking part of the, of it and the, the, the preparation strategy, understanding tactics, and then also being able to use your brain, a you know, when you first driving, you know, when you first start driving a hundred percent of your brain is used for making a car go around the track and not you know, as fast as you can and keeping it on the track. Once you get comfortable, now you can start using a percentage of your brain for the game of racing, right? So you have some of it that's used for the skill side, some of it's used for the game side. And, uh, and I think that's probably what's, what's changed the most, and which is just going to happen with seat time. And also with being in, I mean, I, can't, I couldn't even tell you how many races I've run at this point. I, I, I've never counted them. Um, but anyway, that's, that's the thing that has sort of changed is the ability to to think about the game of racing, the strategies, you know, even the messing with the other drivers' minds a little bit, uh, you know, just just subtle stuff, sometimes joking stuff, you know. Like I would, we were at Mid Ohio. I remember during the championships, and I had a garage at Mid Ohio, and the weather at Mid Ohio, amazingly enough, in September, you know, it should be beautiful, and it's either windy or like beautiful, crappy or beautiful. It's just you know, you never know. But I had a garage, and uh, I told my crew guy who was a buddy of mine, like, Hey, take and where we mark the, the, the cycles. Okay. Mark like 15 heat cycles on the tires and then put, and then put 38 cold <laughs> <laughs> because I knew guys were coming by like, Hey Chris, how you doing, man? How's it going? And they'd be looking at the car and I'd be like, all right, that's fine. Oh wow! Okay, that's uh, that's that's the next level of gamesmanship. That's smart. Well, it's, did it it's, did it work, or did it turn into a joke? 
Uh, you know, I never, I, I, I don't know. I don't know that anybody ever, you know, came by and said, why the hell were you running 38 cold? That thing was all over the place. Yeah. You know, I never heard anything like that. I just, I just won the championship. <laughs> <laughs> I think that says it all, right? That's, that's, I guess that's it the works. stamp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Now, um, I, I spent four months building an E36. It was, it was, it's my first, it was going to be my first track car. Um, I go out to Big Willow on my first on my outlap, not even the first lap, on my outlap, um, I got a little scared, I tempered a little bit, lifted off, spun out the car, and ended up ripping the bumper and the splitter off. Oh. Um, it was, it, it was, it was embarrassing, and I was like, I, I worked four months for this, what, 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 why, why did I do this? It sort of put a damper, and kind of a rain on my day, but... You know, we, we kind of get into these blunders at the track whenever we're testing things out, new things, just trying to trying to be at the limit. Um, do you have a moment that you can think back to in sort of the same way that you would consider a blunder on the track? Oh my God, dude! I don't. Know. I, I might have to. I I have to prior prioritize them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean. I mean, I, I know that there were you know there are a couple times where you just go you just go in a little too deep. And, um, you go in too deep and you, and you hit something. That's what she you know said. What I mean, you know, yeah. ah, but don't, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there, you know, the, I, I have to say that probably the biggest blunder that really steps out because I've been, I've been pretty like, I'm, I've been, I'm pretty cautious, but, um, I, I was, I would say it's probably the national championships at mid Ohio. Um, I was running, um, so I was the factory driver for Celine for one year and then we switched over to, you've heard a guy by the name of Vaughn Gittin Jr. Uh, Drifter. all right. So Vaughn and I have been friends forever. You know, he, his, the very first, uh, pro drifting thing he, he ever won was Hyperfest in 2003. Uh, and we just been friends ever since. And so he shows up at Hyperfest now. And, uh, uh, anyway, so I was racing, I was racing an RTR car. And, uh, I went out and it was raining. It was raining. It was Sunday morning. It was the championship race. It was raining. I went out and practice and I was faster than anybody in practice by like seven seconds. So I'm like, oh, this wow. is great. I just, you know, and, um, there's a, there's a carousel portion right before you go on the front straight at, at mid Ohio. And, uh, and I, I went around that this, I think it was like, it might've been the first lap. I think it was the first lap and I was leading the race and I went in and I got on the brakes at my mark everything I did exactly the same. And I don't know whether it had just rained maybe a little bit more in that lap, but I just slid off the track and I went in the grass. And by the time I've had the thing gathered up and was able to get on track, the entire field had gone by me. So, um, so I was, I, I, I won't swear the way, what I, exactly what I said, but it, there were two <laughs> words, one starting with M, the other one starting with F. Um, and I, that was said a lot. Uh, and, uh, and I just started picking cars off. The thing is most people don't like the rain and in mid Ohio, you bet, you, you better know it pretty well. And I, I knew it pretty well in the rain and I was just crushing everybody, um, to the point where I'd made it up and I could, I could see the leader, um, who was a guy named, um, Dean Martin, uh, driving a, this red Mustang and, uh, and he's a pro pro driver. He was an engineer for Ford on the S one ninety seven chassis. I mean, he was tough to beat, but I, I was faster than him in the rain. And, uh, and I saw an opening and I'm going down into China beach off the back straight. And I had passed, I, this is the third lap and I had just 
I would gobble up like six cars at a time going down the inside. And, uh, and so I'm hauling butt down in here and, uh, and somebody popped out to pass somebody else and I wasn't ready for it. And, uh, I jumped on the brakes and it was either, I was going to be a pinball, you know, as a, as, as a regional director, you know, you don't want to be hitting anybody else, especially if those are some of your customers out in front of you. <laughs> and, uh, and I just pulled the car, I pulled the car left and, uh, and rather than taking out a bunch of cars, I pulled the car left, went down, the, went down the side, luckily didn't hit anything, went into the, went into the gravel trap of China beach and, and there I was stuck. So I would um, say of all the blunders, that was probably it because the, the truth of the matter is, is that my ego got in the way. Um, yeah. I was so mad at myself for going off after being on pole, uh, and uh, and I'm like I'm winning this championship because I come in I had been I come in second the lat the year before to Dean Martin. And, oh, so you had uh, a chip on your shoulder. Well, it wasn't. I mean, I like Dean. Dean and I are friends and everything, but yeah. But I don't like to lose, and so yeah. you know, uh, just and the thing is, is that I was that much faster. Had I just backed off, I could have backed it off fifteen percent, and I would have still probably won by a minute. You know, at, by the end of the race, yeah. it was a forty-minute race. So, so yeah, I would say of, of track blunders, that's probably the big one. That's where this is where the the patience lessons come into play, right? That's correct. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. All right, and also we've talked about you know you mentioned being a regional director, so moving into NASA, right? Take take yep. us through what what does a day look like for the regional director of a NASA organization at the track or or leading up to it. Uh, leading up to it, right? Like all the planning, all, all the, st- all the behind the scenes stuff that a lot of us drivers don't really notice and actually take for granted in a lot of ways. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, it really, it begins, it, it, it typically it's going to begin say on the East coast, you know, you guys have maybe different, different, um, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, seasons out there. Uh, Florida has different seasons stuff, but typically where we are, you know, we're going to run from February, March until November. So uh, typically what's going to happen is we're going to go through all the contracting and all that kind of stuff from November until January. Uh, you know, you order up the insurance, you know, you set up the registration um, and, uh, and just day-to-day kind of thing as, as a NASA director. It's literally, it's, you know, let's, let's see of the 20 different kinds of trophies, you know, what do we like the best? What do we think the drivers are going to like the best? You know, let me uh, have some con- contact with our, with all our series leaders to make sure all those guys are happy and see if, if they need anything, uh, going out and just physically getting, making sure the truck is, is tip top, the dually, making sure the trailer is tip top so it can get me to, to the track. You know I mean? If, if I carry everything, making sure the race car is ready to go, making sure all the radios are charged, that they all work the, I mean, all those pieces. It's bread time again. Hang on a second. <laughs> yeah, go for it. <laughs> this is funny. We should probably leave this in. <laughs> All right, sorry about that, man. But here, look no at this. No worries, man. No worries. Look at that. Oh, look at that. Mm-hmm. I might have to make a trip to the East Coast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, uh, so you know, really just getting getting a lot of the physical pieces done, doing an inventory, going to Costco. You know, you know, eight cases of water. How many cokes do we need? How many boxes of champagne do we need? Uh, you know, it's it's just all the little things um, that really that go into, you know, making sure that the, 
the corner workers are going to be there, making sure that we have control, that we have race director, we have all the tech people, making sure that all the, you know, the, the calipers that we're using for tech, all those tools, all of that stuff. Um, the main thing is just making sure that you have redundancies and that everything is ready to go because you have one shot. You are here for two days or three days. If something breaks, you better have a backup or you better have a really good plan to get that information out to people. You know, if your timing and scoring system goes down, what do you do? Well, I have, I have a box of stopwatches. And luckily, the timing and scoring systems are so reliable that you don't really have to worry about that. What if, the, what if you get a, a lightning strike and the power goes out? Well, you're gonna, I'm going to roll the generator out of the back of the trailer. You know, it's just a, it's a redundancy kind of a thing. I've been doing it so long at this point, you sort of have all the systems set up. But, right. but that, that, as a regional director leading up to the event, that's kind of the day. Okay. And, and then a lot of times, you know, there, there's a lot of people that want to start organizations, right. And plan. And some I hear some drivers in the paddock talking about it, but the, the sentiment is always, well, I don't want it to get in the way of my driving. And you've been able to balance both driving and being the regional director for over two decades at this point. Um, you know, how do you balance both? I'm an idiot. I, 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 I'm an idiot, really. You know, it's it's uh, it's just it, it, I've done it for so long. You know, when I first started back in 2000, um, I honestly I had never I had never worked a specialty. I mean, we backed into our schedule for for uh, 2000. I I'd never run anything. Nobody knew anything. VIR was brand new. The manager there didn't know me from Adam. He gave me four dates at VIR. Summit Point gave us two dates, and I signed on the dotted lane. For, on the dotted line for at that time eighty thousand dollars worth of track track rentals, but I had no clue what I was doing, none, and uh, I didn't. I, so I had to sort of learn all that stuff. Um, but I still wanted to drive because hey, my 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 thing at that time was like hey, if Chris if Chris isn't driving, nobody's driving, and uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, how do you balance it? You know, you just compartmentalize. I don't know. I just got really good at compartmentalizing. You know, when you when you get on the track, and, and part of the thing is, is that once you get on the track, you're if you're focused on anything else, if you're thinking about anything else, you need to you need to come off the track because, or you're not doing it right because you should be 100 percent focused on on what it is that you're doing, um, and it's a therapy, you know. I mean, there are a lot of times I've <laughs> I've sort of joke around that, you know, I'm a therapist for people with lead feet, and. Uh, <laughs> Because you, when you get out there, you can't think anything. I mean, I have so many people that have come up to me and say, hey, man, you know, they're going through a divorce or their parent, mom just died or whatever. You know, the dodge died or whatever. Tough time at work. But they get on track and it's like for that 25 or 30 minutes, they can't think anything else. So I've learned to really compartmentalize that. Um, but, yeah, dude, there are times when I'll be going down, I'll be going down the back straight, you know, somewhere and a corner worker is not doing what they should be doing or, you know, they're letting the yellow flag a little fly a little bit you know, too high in the corner station. And then I'll that's when I, I wish I had a radio to call in to, uh, to control me like, <laughs> <Yeah>. hey, so, <laughs> so you really never turn it off. Right. You're always kind of like scanning and looking for things to improve. Right. Because, well, I mean, it's you, like, it's you. No. Right. It's, it, it lands on you. Right. The responsibility lands on you. And I would not, by the way, I would not, if somebody is thinking about it, um, you will, you will ruin your driving. 
you know, if it is what you, if you, if it's what you have in life as your therapy, you need to keep it that way. You know, I love to cook. And as you can see from this thing, I love to cook. Yeah. Uh, and people say, man, Chris, you ought to open up a restaurant. I'm like, I, I like cooking too much to open up a restaurant. You know, it is my therapy. Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? And the same yeah. thing I think with this, it's, it is, it is, uh, it's a, it's a logistical challenge. Um, and I think that there are a lot of people who end up getting into it. Um, and I think they get stressed. I think they get very, um, concerned with the costs because it's so expensive to, to put one of these events on. And, and I think because of those expenses, we end up, let's say we, there are some organizations out there that will cut corners or not do things the way that they should be done. Um, because they just need to put a butt in a seat so they can pay for the track rental. You know what I mean? Right. No, that makes sense. And I mean, this sort of easily transitions us to sort of how we really met, which I, 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 I sort of stated in a previous co- uh, podcast that I quit NASA, which ironically connected us. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and we, you, you kind of, we started talking about pricing and sort of your, the, your side of, of, you know, the investment. Um, on our end, my statement was, you know, there's prices are going up. Even I, I feel a little nickel and dime with, you know, tech inspection was $5. Now it's $20. It's, it's, it, there's all these little things that sort of just wear at you. There are privileges that our drivers, you know, instructors are losing on our end. Um, but it's easy as a driver to sort of focus on, on the things that impact us. Right. Sure. Uh, on your end, costs are increasing as well. What is driving that? Well, I mean, from what I, I mean, I think it's a couple things, you know, and I, number one, I think it's, everything is regional dependent, right? So if you go, if you go down in the Southeast, uh, you can go to rent Roebling Road and it's still extremely reasonable to rent Roebling Road compared to renting VIR, which, you know, just between this year and last year went up $2,500 a day, which represented, um, you know, over 10%, right? Uh, Summit Point Raceway, uh, my bill this year will be just from the raceway. This is not insurance, corner workers, and nothing like that. Like, this is just from the track. My bill is going to be 33% higher than what it was last year. Now, what they are, what the tracks are telling me, and I do believe that this is part of that, um, is that it's labor, right? So uh, there's a minimum wage in Virginia uh, that is uh, 15 bucks, right? So what that, what that does is that anybody new coming in has to make 15 bucks. Well, if they had somebody that's been working for them, you know, for you know, three years in that particular part of the country, you know, a $13 an hour for that particular job might be, might be what was the max. Now they have to take that person who's worked for them for a couple of years and they can't give them 15 because they'd be making the same as somebody brand new. You know, you want to make sure that your person that's been loyal to you, that you're going to be, that you're going to help them out. So now maybe, maybe they're making 17. So it's not that you just made the jump, say, from, you know, $13 an hour to 15 for that existing employee. You're doing 13 to 17. And, and then what's going to happen? Everybody up the chain has to go up. Um, what we've found in it is at VIR and at Summit Point are the, uh, the emergency services. Um, you know, people to the, the ambulances specifically, um, you know, we were paying, geez, what was it? It was about 720, I think it was $725 a day for an advanced life support ALS ambulance 
and it's gone to 1200 just within the year. That's a VIR. At Summit Point, it's gone from 725 to $2,100 per day. So that alone, you know, is, is huge. So you, you know, and we always, well, I, I won't get too much into this, but I mean, that's, that's, I think the labor side of that is driving it. You know, I also, I, I have to wonder if there's just, hey, there's an opportunity to make a few more bucks. Uh, VIR specifically is in very, very high demand. Um, you know, Summit Point is in very high demand. And so just like any other economic. It's market driven. It's, it's market yeah. driven. You know what I mean? It's yeah. going up. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, and that's, uh, and that's sort of, there's always the, the, the fixed cost side of things, right? That we can't really change. We have to have an ambulance. We have, we have to have those pieces. And of course there's the market side of things where we have to sort of gauge demand. Uh, and I think, especially at mid Atlantic, your attendance is really high. I mean, it, I think it, it's a sort of a testament to what you've been able to build. How do you how do you gauge sort of market demand and and what that equals to in dollars? I mean, really, you know, we we have a bit of a history in terms of knowing about how many people are going to show up that are going to pay, you know, because instructors don't pay. Um, but you know, so we just we we have a decent history of that right and it's just kind of been the same it'll vary a little bit um in terms of value you know we take a look at what, what else is out there in the market you know we have competitors that are you know from you know larger organizations like scca bmw club things like that to you know real small guys you know where we uh, we sort of say anybody with a, a dueling a set of flags thinks that thinks that they're a sanctioning body you know and um uh and so they're the they're you know the track will rent to anybody, and I think just like with anything else, you know you get you get good quality organizations. You don't get good quality organizations. Um, you know, for us, we just try to take a look at the you know the track time per dollar because um, that that tends to be the like the easy button for people to to make a value judgment on. Um, unfortunately, there are a lot deeper things that go into into what kind of value you're getting for the money that you're that you're that you're putting out um and uh you know i mean it's we have i've always wanted to create a good high quality organization that is going to give somebody the best opportunity for survival um and for fun because you know within you know there aren't fatalities too much in this in this business we're fortunate that that everything has gotten a lot safer, but, um, you know, I've, I've had two fatalities, you know, I've had a fatality, uh, at, at two events that I have been involved with. Um, and, uh, you know, the thing that allows me to go to sleep at night is knowing that, um, what I make, I, I, that, that everybody that's, that everybody that's in my tech shed has got that SFI certification that they have been trained that everybody, that is that we have advanced life support ambulances versus basic life support ambulances. And then I have two of them because, and, and I'll get back to the ambulance thing. Um, I make sure that the corner workers know what they're doing. I make sure that the radios, you know, are, are, are the way that they are supposed to, uh, the way they're supposed to work and the flags are able to be seen. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I need to. I need to be able to know that I've done everything I possibly can um, 
including yelling at the track if I have to about trying to make something safer if I think it's not. Um, and uh, because I've been to the funerals, I've had to hug the mom, you know, or the wife. And uh, I take that stuff super, super seriously. Um, and I'm a little bit of a stickler when it comes to that, but I, I want to make sure that it's, that all that stuff's right, you know, and, uh, you know, ALS for, we have two ALS ambulance, right? If, if you go out there, like, and one of the things that, that you had mentioned in your, and the, and the one podcast was that why is like, why is it, uh, why can other groups rent this track and it be cheaper than say with NASA? Okay. And, and I think it's a fair question. It's one that I get on a regular basis. It's really a fair question. Um, but I think what you'll find is that there are a couple things you have to look at. Number one is, are you sure that when you're running with those organizations, number one, is it during a weekend? And is it during, is it during a, uh, a desirable weekend? Um, because that can change prices the, of what you can do to the track. Is it, uh, are they using advanced life support ambulances? Are they using a BLS and, and hoping to give a call to the local ambulance service to come out if you get hurt. Okay. Um, and there are plenty of, there are plenty of organizations that, that do that. Again, it's regional. A lot of stuff is region specific. Um, you know, how many ambulances are, are available? Most will have one. Um, we at mid Atlantic and most, most, uh, for the weekend events, some, sometimes Friday's practice day, you can only have one cause you've got extra time to play with. But you know, if, if, uh, Somebody, somebody has to be transported, the event's shut down uh, if you don't have that second ambulance. If I'm maintaining the second ambulance, then at, at minimum, I can have the, the event continue with, uh, you know, rolling on one ambulance. Well, I mean, we hardly ever have to transport anybody, but I, it's an insurance thing. It's not only, in, and when I say insurance, I don't mean, it's just, it's like buying insurance, right, to have that there. Right. And the other thing, too, is... You know, man, if you have, you know, when you have, you know, 300 car events, you have the serious racing that's, that's taking place out there, you know, two guys get into it and they get hurt and you have one advanced life ambulance, advanced life support ALS ambulance, you know, I want to make sure there are two, you know, so that if I have two incidents, I have the ability to, to get to both of them with, with the equal amount of, of care. And I can guarantee you that if you, if you start asking other organizations out there, number one, I bet you they, they it's 50, 50 that they're going to have an ALS ambulance. And I almost guarantee you they're not going to have two. So one of the other things that, uh, uh, in terms of why things are a little more expensive is, um, you know, having tech officials out there that are SFI, uh, making sure that your instructors are trained. And that's what we do on the East coast. Again, I don't know the West coast systems. You, you know, those better. Um, but I can tell you this, that, that, uh, we, anybody who comes and runs an HPD or time trial or whatever it happens to be, uh, they are, they're getting a race level of safety as opposed to a very bare bones, basic HPD level of safety. The other thing is, is the insurance. Uh, and I, and I don't want to bore you too much with this stuff, but, um, you <laughs> no, know, the, good. The, the reality is, is that if you, when you, when you rent a track, in the contract, it will say that you have to carry a certain amount of what's called um, uh, participant accident, okay, excess participant accident, which is basically like XX medical medical coverage, right? So most tracks are going to require $15,000, right? So 
what that means is, you know, you get hurt, and your you you uh, your regular health insurance, you know, it runs out. What it will give you is an extra fifteen thousand dollars on top of whatever your 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 regular insurance was. If you're if you don't have any health insurance, what it gives you is fifteen thousand dollars worth of insurance. Okay. The majority of the tracks are going to require anywhere from fifteen to twenty-five thousand dollars as part of the contract um, to show on a, on a certificate of insurance. NASA has a million dollars, so if you get doinked and you run out, Art, you've got a million dollars backing you up. If you have to, if we have to fly you out in a helicopter, I can tell you right now, if you don't have your own insurance, you're going into debt because that's anywhere from fifteen to twenty thousand dollars. To, to get a chopper ride, you know, so while the reality is, is that this doesn't get, it doesn't get tagged in that often, we have it and right. no, nobody else has, NASCAR has it, you know, in, in the country. And there's some others that, you know, like I think BMW club, I think theirs goes up to like 250, you know, some of the marquee clubs like that, but those are all quality programs. It's the, it's the, it's the guys that, you know, there's sort of the smaller ones that are really inexpensive. I guarantee you that you go and you start asking questions like that. They're not going to have this kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I've sort of done my research on that a little bit. And there are absolutely some of those organizations, uh, which I tend to stay away from. Uh, but in, on our end, there are some organizations like Speed Ventures that do take the appropriate measures and, and still somehow come in under. But we're comparing apples and oranges here. You're on the East Coast. Uh, I'm on the West Coast. So, I, I, but I do want to ask a few more questions about yeah, sure. you know kind of kind of your process. There's uh, now we know sort of the cost side of things, and we know that you know that drives an increase in price. Also, the market drives an increase in price. But there's also other things that you can do as an organization, like getting more bodies into the organization. So, what steps do you take to kind of promote or or market or or just generate more attendance to these events to also mitigate some of those costs? Well, out here, uh, you know, we do a thing called hyperdrives, which uh, hyperdrive is a the concept actually started with hyperfest, the first hyperfest we ever did, because at the time we I, I, I knew that going into the tuner community, those are the guys that we you know, that, you know, their cars were built to be road race type cars. Uh, they were drag racing for convenience for the most part. But I think their aspiration was really to do drifting and road racing type stuff. So. We went after that market, but, you know, at the time, you know, those guys were, you know, 20 years old, 22 years old, you know, they're now 40 years old, but, uh, at the time they didn't have, you know, at that 180 bucks or whatever, $200 to come out and do a, a track weekend, 250. So I said, well, you know, let's, let's do a thing where we can just $40, you can come out and you can do a taste test. So we put you in the car with an instructor, the car still has to go through tech. You literally go through all, the exact same process that you would as I say, a beginning HPDE one student, still have an instructor, everything. It's just that you just do one session. So, you know, it's the first hit of track, you know what I mean? 40 bucks, low impact on the driver, low, low impact on the car, low impact on the wallet. But, uh, you know, one of the things that, um, that we've, that we've tried to do is just get, get a button to seat. Cause if I get you on track once you're going to sell everything you have to come out and continue to play on track. You know what I mean? So I've been guilty of that myself. <laughs> so you just have to get the taste. So that's one of the things that we do. Um, uh, you know, we, 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 uh, what we do is we encourage the people that are out there to bring friends to the track and give rides. 
So if you're HPD three, four, um, you know, even if you're a race car driver, I'll, I'll and, and you have a passenger seat, you want to take one of your buddies out for a ride. I'll let you, I'll let you go out in HPD three or four. I'll give you a session. You know what I mean? It's, I'm not going to charge you for it because you know, you're hooking somebody else. I, I, I want you to in, increase the community. Um, you know, we, part of the thing too, is, is I just really believe that you put on a good event that, that if you spend the money on making sure that the trophies are good, that the beer is good, that the barbecue is good, you know, all of that stuff. And that you have a friendly staff that people are just going to want to gravitate toward the organization. And so it just sort of happens naturally from a larger, bigger perspective. Uh, Hyperfest was really designed to, to introduce people to the track. Um, I wanted to, you know, I just wanted, I, it started out really. I just, I wanted to have, have somebody bring a car show and put a car show in the outfield you know, while we were doing a regular NASA event, um, next thing you know, we're doing rollover contests and, <laughs> and bikini <laughs> contests and, you know, and hyperdrives and drifting competitions and, and everything that sort of turned into now. Um, but that was sort of the large scale way to introduce people because I still remember the fact I loved cars and I had no idea that this stuff happened until I was, you know, 27 years old. So, you know, if I can create an event that's just a happening, that's, everything then that just introduces more people so it's it's sort of a multi-level approach but that's a long yeah, answer. no i think long answer, short it, question. hyperfest is is amazing and I, I do want to touch on a few things on nasa before we get to wrap up with yeah. hyperfest yep. how you know now, now that we've talked about new people come into the organization how do you drive retention right how do you keep people in the organization how do you motivate people to race you know what are some of the things that you offer that drive that so uh, one of the things we do in our HPD three program um, and HPD four is we'll run some we'll run some of the drills that we run in our, our competition school. So half track drills, side by side drills, practice starts, things like that. Um, you don't go full tilt boogie, you know, wheel to wheel racing, but you give an you give an opportunity for somebody to to do that. Um, we'll open up some of the groups to open passing. So HPD three typically is pass anywhere with a point by, but um, if the group seems like they're, they're maintaining, you know, they're, they're behaving themselves and, and they know what they're doing, you know, we might flip the switch and say, okay, we're going to do some open passing. Um, you know, maybe that happens on Sunday kind of thing. Um, uh, we, you know, you, make sure the beer is good, make sure the barbecue is good, make sure the trophies are good, you know, <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, when you can get the really encourage the serious leaders, because, uh, I think anybody, uh, will tell you that any one of the regional directors will tell you that the success of a series is very much based upon its series leader. You, God himself could write a set of rules, but if you don't have somebody down on the ground that's, that's, that's willing to answer emails and, and, and get people jacked and find a car for somebody that's looking for one and all the stuff that a really good series leader does, um, you know, the series isn't going to go anywhere. So, you know, really taking care of the series leaders and, and helping them to, you know, who have the pulse on, on each driver, you know, sometimes that's, it's, it's simple stuff like, Hey, this guy, you know, his, he, he just, he doesn't have the money to come race this weekend. And, uh, well, you know what? He's not coming anyway. You know, that's a go get him, tell him to come on. It's on me, you know? Now, don't spread that out too much. I don't want everybody, you know, making excuses. <laughs> yeah. 
but it's that it's that it's, it's that kind of thing. I look at it as a, as a family, right? And sometimes you help. Yeah, them, yeah, you help and, and it's your 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 vision is long term, right? You're not right. looking for tomorrow's dollar. You're looking for next year's dollar, uh, which I think this is how that's just one on one. That's how you should look at businesses. So it's it's awesome to hear that. And some things you mentioned on that you offer too is instructors. Uh, are essentially comped on their track days, right? Which we've sort of lost on the West Coast. Um, and then also, if you give ride-alongs, introducing people, you might get comped on the session as well. Um, so you guys have a lot of programs out there that I think that sort of yielded the the uh, the volume of attendees that your events have. And then I, I think uh, the biggest piece of this, right, being Hyperfest, which... You know, it's made it the, the its reputation has made it out to us, right? Where I I now want to go over to the East Coast, where prior <laughs> I probably didn't really have any specific desire to go out there. Uh, but there are some interesting things you you do with Hyperfest, and, and you mentioned how this really just started as trying to combine a car show and a track event, right? And that that was the in the initial thought which evolved into a multitude of different things and i have a very specific questions about certain things so if i'm if i'm to I'm, make I'm my a way scared i think <laughs> if i'm to make my way out to hyperfest which i will um what is the judging criteria for the air guitar contest <laughs> if i want to win <laughs> uh, you can actually you can actually pull that up. I think the rules are on the Hyperfest website. Uh, the uh, there's believe it or not there's actually like a, it's either world or or uh, U.S. air guitar contest rules and uh, you know and I can't remember what they are right off the top of my head. I, I I'm I'm sorry, but uh, so there are national rules for this. There, I, I I didn't know that. Yep, there are. We we honestly if you, if you Google it. Like I googled it, and that's I just pulled the rules and said, "Well, let's you know, let's go with an established sanctioning body, essentially." And uh, but for the most part, you know, it is it's very energetic. Being energetic and and being demonstrative is pretty much the the that's the that's the big one, you know. And okay. uh, and the song helps, you know, the song that you pick helps. Um, but I mean, the judge is uh, the judge is the. A good friend of mine is the uh, C. I think he's the CEO. He's either president or CEO of Paul Reed Smith Guitars. I don't know if you if you're a guitar guy or Very not. Very familiar, yeah. yeah. Um, but he's a racer with us, and we've been friends for a long time. He's a sponsor of Hyperfest, um, but uh, super super cool guy. And he's, I mean, he's watched them all, and so you know he's one of the ones who judges it. It's it's a great time. There's also the shred contest, so if you can actually play. Um, oh, there! Oh, there's both. Okay, right. I didn't yeah. know that. I thought it was just the air guitar. No, no. So yeah, so so the the, the idea was is that you have a shred contest to win a guitar, and you win a PRS SE, which is you know those those things are I think eight or nine hundred dollars now, and um, yeah. uh, so it's it's a good prize. So if you all you have to do is air guitar. Yeah, the idea was if you air guitar, you get a real guitar, so you actually learn how to play a real guitar. But any, anybody <laughs> who could actually play. They could also, you know, add an SC to their, uh, you know, to their stable of, of guitars. That's pretty cool. Now, the other highlight we see it go viral every year is the Power Wheels attack. Oh, Coney. Um, yeah. 
How did that start? Like, what, what, who, like, were you in a room and someone says we should have power reels? Did someone just happen to take one out on track? What, what was the, 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 the sort of, uh, what would I say? Just the start of it all. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me. All right. So this is, I, it, I'll make this as short as possible. So the guy by the name of uh, Kerrigan Smith is the general manager of, uh, of Virginia International Raceway. So, uh, I was down there. We were doing a site visit with, with him and a guy by the name of Brian Eggert. Brian Eggert is uh, kind of like a co-partner in, in Hyperfest. He is, he, uh, he's the director of U.S. Drift. He's also been a Formula D judge for over a decade. Okay, So what we, what we, had, we had watched some videos about some of the, uh, the, the crazy stuff where the guys are going down, like, down a steep hill in the woods. And there's a real steep hill at VIR, so we we're thinking about doing it there. And we're like... You know what? We're gonna we're no. Let's not do that. We're probably we're gonna hurt somebody. So uh, apparently, we stopped that and went on to do whatever I were doing that that day. And uh, about two weeks later, he calls Kerrigan calls and goes, "Hey, how about doing it down the roller coaster?" And which is a section of the track that goes from turn fourteen down through turn seventeen, which is about it's about an eighth of a mile and it's about a hundred and eighty two foot vertical drop, right? So. Uh, and I said, well, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's going to get going fast enough. He goes, I think you're going to be, they, they're going to be doing like 35 miles an hour. I'm like, well, how do you know? They said, well, he goes, I was in a pickup truck with my wife and my daughter saw that and she was like six or seven at the time. And she said that she wanted to do it. So sure enough, he had started his daughter, uh, at the top of the hill and there, and she's, he's following her in his pickup truck and she starts picking up speed and he's like, doing 35 miles an hour and his wife's from the passenger seat <laughs> smacking him what are you doing right and, uh, yeah. and she's on the barbie jeep getting the death wobble right and, yeah uh, and sh- <laughs> sure enough she was smart enough to you know pull the thing off and bail out into the grass you know driver's right and yeah. uh, and so there you go so that's 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 how it started we had that idea i said that sounds awesome and uh, the first year we did it i think we had I think the first year we did, we had like 19, 19 drivers and, um, and, you know, Coney's been a, Coney came in and they're, they're a partner with this thing. You know, they're just such a fun company. Redline was there for a while, but, uh, they're out for this year. We've got somebody else coming in new, um, as a co-partner of that, but, um, oh, it's just hilarious. Now we have, I mean, we'll have a hundred drivers sign up for this thing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. It's I mean, it, it looks like so much fun. I mean, it's a, we like I constantly watch like slow motion video of that stuff, and it's just like this is. It's just it's so wild. It's so out there, and it's it's it just embodies the community aspect of right. you know the automotive world, right? And I think and I I just love it. I love I love when people can come together and be silly, not take themselves seriously. Because a lot of times, you know, you've got your head down, you're focused when you're driving, you know, you're driving an actual car. So to have something like that happen, it kind of sort of um, decreases that tension and makes everyone happy again. I'm sure the the beer that you're providing helps as well. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. So uh, so tech is a little loose on that that uh, uh, for that race. But, uh, you know, I mean, you got you got to have fun. You know, I mean, it's. it's yeah, yeah. It's, you know, uh, like I said, when we first started, you know, I, I was the kid that was, you know, didn't want to get in trouble, had a flashlight in my matchboxes and I pulled the sheet up over my head and I'd be, you know, doing races and stuff as a little kid. And, 
and and I don't the one thing that I don't think you can ever do when you're playing with cars is to forget that little kid. And I have watched I've watched some drivers and some racers and some racing teams completely forget that. And yeah. uh, you know, on the pro side, and even at even at the amateur level um, or semi pro side, um, you know, you get so serious. And 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 I will say that I have been I have been guilty of that to a certain extent myself because uh, it gets so serious. You know, when you have partners and things like that. But you know, you got to have you just have to have fun. And Hyperfest, the one cool thing about it, I have to say, you know, of, of all the cool things. And as big as it's gotten and whatever kind of notoriety it has, it's when it's when Adam L Z and Vaughn Gittin Jr. and uh you know Tanner Faust and, and these guys are showing up and they like coming to the event because they get to have fun. You know, they yeah. they're serious about their job, you know, and it's like, wow man, I we have we have the party that lets them relax and enjoy themselves. And I think if there if there's anything, you know, you know, when I'm hanging out at the pearly gates uh, and they're going through a, a, a probably extensive naughty list of mine, uh, that <laughs> what's going to balance it out is that this thing, you know, just barely is probably going to get me in <laughs> through the gates, <laughs> yeah. you know, that I, that, yeah, that and, people and have in the, fun. And sort of in the same vein, right? Uh, with you, You've been involved with motorsport for so long. You, you, you've sort of built these massive organizations You've you've had you've gone through countless experiences through it all. What is something that you're you know either the most proud of or really proud of you know that you've achieved within this world? Uh, being able to give this to my son, <clears throat> being able to see him my oldest son my my second son could care less about cars but the uh but i know that i know that this sounds just super super hokey but i gotta tell you that um you know as many championships that i won and as many races that i won uh there is nothing better to me than seeing my son win the Specky 30 race at Hyperfest this, this past year to seeing joy, you know, in that and being able to give that to him. Um, I think on a broader scale, I think in terms of what I've accomplished is, um, or what, and I say we, because really it's the organization. I, I'm the idiot that sort of just had an idea and I can <laughs> hopefully get people moving in the same direction. But, uh, I think that, it's not anything specific, it's more general, but there's that, that, that we have provided a place that somebody can come live their dreams. And that's, I didn't, people have said that to me like a long time ago. And I think maybe just with age, you start to appreciate it more. Um, but I think that's probably the biggest thing, man, is just letting people, giving them the opportunity to go out and experience what their dreams, you know? That's awesome, man. Uh, that that is that is very very awesome. I know I'm appreciative of people like you. I'm on the track as much as I can because of people like you. So that is awesome. And I do want to wrap up, you know, with one final question, which is: I know that um, at one point you had events in the West Coast. 
is there a plan in the future <laughs> to come back? You're talking about for Hyperfest? Be it, yeah, absolutely. Hyperfest is, is what I'm most excited about. So, um, so we're we're expanding. Um, I will tell you that we're expanding in 2024. We'll be expanding. Uh, we have some interesting partnerships that are coming up. Um, I would like to get back to California. Um, I'm not going to guarantee anything, but um, but I would like to get back to California. We actually did run a Hyperfest. We ran one at Cal Speedway. Uh, and we ran one at Sonoma back in 2003, 2004. Um, and, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you a story about the first one sometime off the air. Cause it's a little, bit, okay. yeah. it's a little bit colorful about the trip going out there, but, uh, okay. and coming back. But, um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, look for some expansion. Okay. Okay, we'll to, we'll leave it there. You know, we'll leave yeah. some mystery. Yeah, yeah we'll yeah. leave some mystery. But uh, Chris, you know, thank you for coming on the podcast. It was a, a great conversation, and honestly, thank you for sharing. Uh, you were definitely an open book. Uh, but I believe that is our episode. You can find us at ninety one octane dot com. That is all letters, no numbers. Also, like and subscribe wherever you're listening to the podcast. Follow us on Instagram at 91octane. And if you want to send us any emails, info at 91octane.com. Chris, any last words, any last things you want to you wanna plug here at the end of the show? Well, you know I have to plug Hyperfest. So, you know, it's uh, this year we're back at VIR. It's our 22nd year doing Hyperfest. And uh, it's on May 19th to the 21st. Uh, the Haltech Hyperfest, man. It's... Uh, we have a lot of fun stuff, and I uh, hope that you can make it out, man. I, uh, if you need tickets, I, uh, hey, I know a guy. <laughs> hey, hey, <laughs> I got you. I, I really, the, for me, the idea has always been to take my car, but I, just the logistics of that is, is a little wild. So I might be going, you know, just taking my feet, uh, but I definitely want to make my way out there because uh, that looks like that looks super exciting. And uh, you know, if you're out in the area, and if you're not out in the area, anywhere around the world, you're hearing this. Go visit Hyperfest. It's a blast. It really is uh, the was it the amusement park? You're changing that though, the, right? The, the automotive amusement park. Yeah, the automotive. Right? Is it park. is it staying the automotive amusement park or because I, I recall you wanting to change it at one point? Uh, I well we the, the automotive basically an automotive playground. You know, we were thinking that yeah. a, a playground might be better because the playground you sort of get an amusement park sort of lends itself to just taking rides playground is you can ride or you can do your own thing. Um, at this point we've had the tagline for so long. You kind of hate to, you kind of hate to mess with branding, but yeah, yeah you no, never that know. makes sense. Yeah. If you're going to, if you're going right. to just bring your feet out here and you're not bringing your wheels, uh, you know, let me know because, uh, I know a few people that, that do rentals, you know, some pretty, pretty oh. sweet cars. Oh, okay. That might be, that's definitely going to be an option. Then that's, I didn't even consider that. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Now, now I've, now I've got both feet in. So, <laughs> so, yeah, so here we go. Well, thank you, Chris. Thanks for joining us. It was an absolute pre- pleasure. Uh, hopefully we can have you back on in the future. Uh, but, uh, you know, everyone for, to everyone listening out there, uh, if you have any other questions for me or Chris about Hyperfest, about NASA, about getting into, getting into the track, whatever it may be, Make sure you spam our social media. Chris, do you have any social media that you that you, uh, people can reach you out in? Uh, I mean, me me personally, uh, I don't do a lot of Instagram personally, but certainly all the Hyperfest accounts, you know, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, TikTok, uh, 
Uh, we're starting a, the Hyperfest TV on uh, on YouTube, so that'll be that'll be new for this year. But uh, yeah, hit all the Hyperfest stuff, anything on Facebook or or uh, Instagram, and you'll you'll get all kinds of stuff. Awesome. Well, everybody, take care. Goodbye.